0: My name is Jason Runyon, Um, I'm a teaching elder here at Commonplace Church, Um, and this morning we are in the fourth beatitude, I think it's the fourth, Um, found in Matthew uh, chapter 5 verse 6. Let me get there. And this is what it says. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It's very short, but that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. um, The goal is to bring other passages of the Bible to bear on this. Um, One of the interesting things that I found when I was studying for this was... um, And I'm not like a... I didn't take Greek in high school. Certainly didn't go to seminary to learn anything about Greek. Um, But Greek, it seems to me, is probably similar to like French, which I did take in high school, junior high high school. I recently found some of those grades when I was cleaning my mom's house out. She kept everything. My grades were not very good. Um, But in French... If if you were hungering for bread, um, you wouldn't say "passé le pain," pass the bread, because that would mean pass all of the bread there ever was. You wouldn't say that. You would say "passé du pain," pass of the bread. Pass me some of the bread, because you don't want all the bread in the world, and is the true. It's true of any, anything of which there is tons of. Right? Same thing with water. You, in French, you would not ask them to pass uh, lo, You would ask them E-A-U, water in French. You would ask to pass de, do, of the, of the water, some of the water. Um, and so if Greek is anything like that, it's called the, what is it called? It's called the article partitive. Um, for things that there are a lot of. Here, just interestingly, in the Greek, it's not saying, Blessed are those who hunger for some of the righteousness. Blessed are those who thirst for some of the righteousness. Here, the of is taken out. And it says, blessed are those who, who hunger for all of the righteousness. Blessed are those who thirst for all of the righteousness. Anyway, just something interesting. And we'll get into it in a moment. But before we do, um, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the song that we just sang. We thank you that, that in everything, that in everything... Everything you're you're working everything What does everything include it includes everything? We are thankful that you are working everything out for our good and You are working everything out for your good name and I have to have to think that on a morning like this uh, Where it seems like there's another another weekend in the fall where we're dealing with rain You get to see a beautiful blue sky all week long. And then all of a sudden it's the weekend and oh, there's more rain. Um, I have to to think that there's some of us here who are dealing with things um, that are stressful, that are riddled with anxiety, that are filled with fear. I have mine. I'm sure people here have theirs. And I pray that even though we have these things, these pressing things that are on our hearts, that are on our minds, that you would that you would, this morning, that you would help us uh, not forget about them, not fantasize about something else, not, not distract ourselves, but help us to just put these things on the back burner for a moment, for just a minute, so that we might think about you and to think about your son and what he did for us in a moment of time when he came here to live as we live, a perfect life uh, so that he could die for us so he could pay our penalty so that through him we might have righteousness we 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 thank you for this group of people who are here this morning and we thank you for the people who weren't able to make it out I want to specifically talk uh, ask you um, and ask for your help and for your healing and just your care and your kindness uh, for Rosie Palpeka, who in the coming weeks will be having surgery. She's been on my heart this, the last, ever since I saw her a couple weeks ago in Kidsman. I just pray that you would be with her. Another obvious thing to think about is the Colignons. Um I just pray that you would be with Austin and Morgan as they expect their first child. And ever since uh, Kirk called me, um, way back in August about his back. Who knew that a back could be so annoying? Um, but there's, there are a number of issues, back issues here in our congregation, um, sure of. And so no matter what it is, whether it's our back that's plaguing us or whether it's finances that are plaguing us or whether it is relationships that are plaguing us or whether it's a desire to be more connected, I pray that you would help us to put things aside for a minute so that we might talk about the most important thing. Backs are important, surgeries are important, babies are certainly important, finances are important, connection in the body is is extremely important. But this morning we're talking about righteousness, not just the kind that we muster up, not just the kind that we strive to, to attain to live rightly but the kind that you provide and without that as we'll learn soon uh, nothing really else matters without your righteousness given to us because of your son and what he's done for us nothing really else matters help us to be mindful of that right now again we're not here to we're here to hear from you that's what's supposed to happen on a Sunday morning. Despite all of our planning, despite all of our preparation, uh, what we believe is that the God of the universe comes down. And where we're two or three are gathered in, your mit- in, in the midst, you are there. You are there. I pray that we would be able to bring you glory, however imperfectly, Help us this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, so we've been, at, we've been at, if this is the fourth beatitude, fourth, uh, fifth, whatever it is, um, there are, um, we've, we've hit a bunch of others. Anyway, I found this quote, it's by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said this, he said, this beatitude, the one that we're talking about this morning, this one, Flows and follows logically from the previous ones. It is a statement to which all the others lead, if you think about it, right? The poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek. Talking about needs, and if those are talking about needs, this is talking about a solution to those needs. So the Beatitude follows, this Beatitude follows logically from the previous one. It is a statement to which all others lead. It is the logical conclusion to which they come, and it is something for which we should all be profoundly thankful and grateful to God for. I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to one of you the most to one of the if this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian if not then you had better examine the foundations again and again we're talking about righteousness uh, the focus here righteousness and what we mean by righteousness is a right standing before God and in the Bible there are two types of righteousness that are discussed Paul talks often about two types of righteousness the first type of righteousness is is internal righteousness or experiential righteousness the kind of righteousness a couple weeks ago i sent susan a, a a picture i was at the delaware water gap the little uh, rest stop there at exit 12 or whatever exit 8 exit 4 oh, i don't know what it is um and i saw three monks three buddhist monks and a couple other guys one guy had like a Orange. He wasn't wearing an orange robe, he was wearing an orange, orange um, beanie, you know, the teeny weeny beanie, you know? Um, he was wearing that. I guess that was his monk garb, I don't know. But I sent her a picture, and I said, look, Buddhist monks in, in Blairstown. Um, uh, e- experiential righteousness, um, internal righteousness, is what those monks try to muster up. With their four principles of buddha or whatever it is experiential righteousness is what if you grew up catholic and you went to grow up going to ccd which i remember my friends telling me stood for a central city dump if you ended up going to there that, that was my friends i was in fourth grade um, I, to, I guess anyway um, but most of your catholic friends most people who are religious who you know are striving to live in a, a righteousness that is experiential; it's internal. It's, they're mustering it up. Even, even, I mean, even when, like, you think about like people who just pass away. Right? There are people who, who who die, have funerals, and they can be complete jerks in life, and then somehow you go to the funeral, and they're like, "Oh, wasn't wasn't Doug great?" Wasn't he just wonderful? And at least now he's in a better place. Based on what? Like, that's what the, the people that we live live with and see every day either believe that they can muster up this internal righteousness, and the good will outweigh the bad, or they just think that no matter what, everybody just goes there, right? So experiential righteousness is is what we might refer to as good living, living a good life, striving to live rightly every day. The other type of righteousness is called like a justifying righteousness or an external righteousness. It is alien to us. It is foreign. It is not something we muster up that we can strive for. It is something that has to be gifted to us. That kind of righteousness only God has. Because God is the creator, if you're a Christian, you believe that God is the creator God. And the creator has the ability, like we just sang, he's the artist, he's the potter. In Jeremiah he says, doesn't, I, doesn't the potter have the right to do what he wants with the clay? If I decide to smash the clay on the wheel and to start again, don't I have that right? And the God of the universe has the right to declare what is right and what is wrong. And that is what he does. So I want to get a little bit theological um, just to give us some context, and I want to go quickly here. Um, Like I said, external righteousness is the kind that can only be gifted to you. Justifying righteousness is, is alien to us and it has to be given to you, or the Bible uses a term, it has to be imputed to you, credited to your account. So if you, if you wanted to go buy something that was significant in price and you didn't have the funds to pay for that significant thing, if somebody credited you the amount you needed, then you would be able to pay for it. If you took out a credit card that gave you enough credit to pay for the thing that you wanted to buy, then you could buy it. Because it had been credited, that amount of money that you don't have, have been credited to you. The Bible talks about righteousness that's imputed, credited to your account. And there are three types of imputations in the Bible which I think are helpful for us to talk about. The first one is the imputed sin from Adam to us. This is what the Bible teaches that in Genesis that Adam and Eve sinned, and ever since they sinned, sin has been imputed to everyone. It was imputed, it was, it was charged to the accounts of everyone who came after Adam and Eve. So to Cain, to Abel, to Seth, all their other kids, and to you and me, their progeny. Sin is imputed to human beings based on the first human being's sin. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why we have a problem, a sin problem, The second imputation in the Bible is sin being imputed, being charged to Jesus. That's the second imputation in the Bible, that our sin, the Bible teaches, is imputed to Christ. So 2 Corinthians um, Chapter 5, verse 17 and 19 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, giving us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. The world, why? because he was counting men's sins against him. The sins of the world on the cross, the sins of the world were imputed, charged to Jesus' account. He lived a perfect life, the life that we should live but can't because of sin, the only human being to do it, and then on the cross, all of our sin was imputed, charged to his account so that he could, on the cross, pay for all sin. The third imputation is Jesus's, and this is what we're talking about today, Jesus's righteousness imputed to us who believe. Okay, so so three imputations. One is Adam's sinning and his sin being passed down to his progeny that is all of us the second jesus on the cross being charged with all of the world's sin the bible says that jesus literally became sin for us in that same section in second corinthians second corinthians 5. he who knew no sin it says became sin for us and then Jesus' righteousness, this righteousness that is alien to us, that we could never attain, is gifted to us, is credited to us because of what Jesus does on the cross. So with that in mind, I want want us to turn, if you will, to Luke, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling a parable. Maybe some of you know it. Um, Did you ever like wake up in the morning and take a bunch of Advil and then be like, how come this Advil is not working? That's what I did this morning. I took like three or four Advil it's like where are you guys um, but we're gonna be in Luke 18 Luke 18 verses 9 to 14 we're talking about the parable of the Pharisee and the publican the or the Pharisee and the tax collector and, and and the goal here now that we've kind of talked about imputation and, and righteousness the goal here is to, to to use this passage to get after what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitude that we just read, okay? That's the goal, just um, so you know. So there's a good quote that I found that I thought I'd, 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 I'd read before we, uh, before we started here, but it, it, it says this. It's from uh, James Montgomery Boyce. And he says this. He says, "Religion is your seeking after a God in your own image. Christianity is God's seeking you and moving to redeem you by the death of His Son." Does that makes sense. Religion is your seeking after a God in your own image, and what I said before. Somehow we live in this world where people go to a religion. And that religion, no matter what it is, I mean you could probably just pick any religion, right? And and often that religion wants the person who is following that religion to seek to live righteously. Or There are people in this world, and we could probably go out into the streets of Mount uh, Mount Olive and and Bud Lake and, and just ask questions and do a poll, and you'd probably get a lot of this data. I believe that if I just go to my church, whatever that church is, or just go to the temple, or just go to the thing, and I do that, and I practice this religion, I will go to wherever I need to go. Nirvana heaven whatever the heck and if it doesn't work out, maybe I do it over depending on your religion Or you might find people who are just like I just believe that if I if if, if I do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff Then I'll go to heaven Or like I said before you just have people who are like Jim was a jerk But now he's dead Thank God he's in heaven That doesn't make any sense so apparently, there's some people who just believe that you can be a horrible, horrible human being, but upon death, it's like, a, um, it's like this weird, like, not saved by grace or saved by faith, but just saved by death. You just die, and you you get to go to heaven. And so, what he's saying is religion. Or Whatever it is between these three things is just you making stuff up And that's not what we're talking about Christianity is God seeking you and moving Towards you to redeem you because of what his son has done So with that in mind Luke 18 verses 9 to 14 This is Jesus he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt this is what he says two men went up into the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector the pharisee standing by himself prayed thusly sorry (laughs) um god i thank you that i am not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week I give tithes of all that I get but the tax collector standing far off would not even but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast his chest and saying God be merciful to me a sinner and Jesus says this. He tells everybody who's listening, I tell you this. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And again, the goal is to use this passage to get at what Jesus is after in this fourth beatitude jesus tells parables all through the bible for various reasons he tells them to illustrate something um, that is important to his listeners he uses it to shine a spotlight on something uh, that they may have never seen before to shine a spotlight on something that should be surprising to them that should that that that, to shine a spotlight and to illuminate something that they may have never thought about before because they always have done a certain thing and Jesus uses parables to um, to irritate (laughs) and and he's certainly doing that here if you look at the first part of the, the section of who he's saying this parable to. So, so that, those are, those are going to be my points. My, point is, my points are going to be that Jesus is seeking to illustrate something to the people who are listening and to us, and he's seeking to shine a spotlight on or illuminate something that, 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 that should be seen in, the, in a totally different way than the way that we typically see it or the, the way these people who are hearing this for the first time would have, would have heard it. And then he's seeking to to irritate, or or convict, or or teach, um, or surprise people. And, And so that's what he does here. So, illustrate. Look at who he's talking to. Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with content. Jesus is using a familiar setting. He's using the setting of the temple. Everybody who was listening to him would have rec- uh, understood the temple. They, they went to temple uh, regularly. Regularly. That's weird. Reg- regularly. Um, and he was using two very similar types of people that they would be familiar with, very familiar with. And, and we're probably all familiar with. He's using the religious person the Pharisee, the priest, and he's using the tax man. That reminds me of a Beatles song, right? Isn't that a Beatles song? Um, It's like, uh, anyway, sorry. Um, So he's using two very familiar types of people, and he's seeking to get to something that's of vital importance across to those people, these people that he's talking to, who believe that their experiential righteousness, their internal righteousness, is not only more sufficient to secure their standing before God, but that as a result of their experiential righteousness, how rightly they live, that they are superior to everyone else. He's seeking to, to get it, he's seeking to illustrate a point that's specific to these people who believe that it is through their goodness that they that they attain God's approval. And it is through their goodness that they are better than everyone else. That's what he's seeking to do. He wants them to know that the way to heaven isn't through what we have done or what we have accomplished, but because of what Jesus will accomplish on the cross. That like their forefather Abraham God is not asking them to do something to be righteous. He is asking them to believe in someone to be righteous. And on any given day, if you are in Christ, you can be fooled, tricked, start believing that it is what you do that makes you right in God's eyes. and he's trying to get illustrate this in the best way that he knows how here is a familiar place where you go to meet god and here are familiar people who you see every day who are going to meet god illuminate he's shining a spotlight on two men one a broken spirit with little light, a little hope, but a real sense of his sin. Maybe, maybe you, uh, maybe you feel like that today. He's shining the light on two men. One of the men is a broken spirit with little light, little hope, but a real sense of his sin. The other is a soul that's satisfied with himself in the presence of God. And maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you feel satisfied with your standing, where you're at with God based on how good you are, are, the good things that you do. There's nothing to be ashamed about it like I said there's a lot of people that we come across across each and every day who believe that they are satisfied with either the effort that they put in for their religion the effort that they put into just their life I love my kids I'm nice to my kids I love my wife I don't cheat on my husband I, I or just we all go there when we die but maybe you're in one of those categories and jesus sp- sh- shines a spotlight on these two men and, and 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 here's what's surprising i think if you were to listen to this story and you were if you were to put your yourself if we all jumped in the delorean and we went back in time and we were to sit and stand right as jesus was talking about this for the first time the surprising thing wouldn't be so much that the pharisee was in the temple the surprising thing would be that the publican the tax collector was in the temple he shouldn't be there he shouldn't be there because he's a dirt bag in in, in ancient times the, the publican would be in charge of a region and he would be in charge of collecting the taxes and a lot of times, like Matthew or like Zacchaeus, who we meet a little bit later in, in Luke, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, um, is, the tax collector was often Jewish. Rome would come in and they would conquer and then they would make, they would, they would make it, the people who lived there, certain of them, uh, contractors, who, who, whose job it was to collect taxes. They were the tax people. And so, and, and if you were under Roman rule, as Israel was, and you were paying taxes to Rome, when, for, when you have a history of being free, and the person who's coming to your door to, to, to collect your taxes is one of your own people, well, you can imagine, it, it, would, it would rub you the wrong way. And so back then, publicans, tax collectors were seen as equivalent to a prostitute. Not only that, they, they, their job was not just to collect the taxes for the Roman Empire. Their job was to, to collect enough taxes so that they, they could pay and feed their family. And, and, and then give some. And so graft was ripe as, uh, rife as you might imagine, because those tax collectors would say, Hey, Mrs. Jenkins... You actually owe $2,000. Well, actually, um, the price just went up. You actually now owe $3,000. They could charge whatever they wanted. As long as they gave to Rome what was Rome's, they could keep whatever they wanted to keep. A little bit later, when we meet Zacchaeus, that was the issue. I don't think he was hiding up in the tree just because he was short. I think he was hiding up in the tree because people wanted to beat him. And when he says he's going to give the money back it's not because he wanted to give the money back that the roman empire had taken no 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 no. he wanted he upon getting meeting jesus decides to give the money back because he realizes how he has stolen from the people and so that's how tax collectors were seen they were seen as the equivalent of a prostitute and they were seen as thieves and robbers traitors And so you would not see a tax collector, a publican, in church because they were sinners, the worst kind of sinner. And so in shining the spotlight spotlight on this, the surprising thing would be that the publican, the tax collector, was in church. He shouldn't be in church. The Pharisee, on the other hand, sought to live a virtuous life. I mean, listen to what he says. He says, thank God that I'm not an extortioner, like this publican probably is. Thank God I'm not a sinner, like this tax collector probably is. Thank God I'm not an adulterer. This tax collector has more than enough money to be one of those. Thank God that I am me. Thank God that I am, I mean, I do everything I'm supposed to do because I'm virtuous I I mean I tithe everything if I find a dollar on 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 the on the on the on the ground I cut I rip it in half and I give some to you and I give some to myself I mean that I'm virtuous they conducted themselves very strictly in a reasonable way and they believed that God made people that God made people either virtuous or vicious or sinful. And so at death, the vicious or sinful person would be detained in an everlasting prison. Whereas the virtuous person, again, ordained by God, that some people will be vicious and, and sinful and some people will be virtuous like me, the virtuous person would have the power to revive again in the last days and to live again. That's what they believed and so it would be very easy for the Pharisee to say that is obviously the vicious sinful person and I am obviously the virtuous person and so it would be very obvious for the people to attest to the same so if you were listening to Jesus for the first time you would say okay well I have no idea why Jesus is putting a, a tax collector in church they have no business being in church but if the question is, who is the righteous person, then obviously the Pharisee is the right righteous person. Because we see how they live and they, they, they display their lives to us each and every day. Pharisees display to us that they are virtuous, that they are religious, that they are living rightly all of the time. And if their lives weren't enough to, to display that, then certainly their discourse, their words, that when they talk, that displays it. Whereas the publican displays that they are wretched, sinful, disgusting people. Every single day, they display that. And when they come knocking on our door for back payment, and they ask us with a centurion next to them for the money, they show us through their words, they are sinful, disgusting traitors. So obviously, 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 Jesus, if the point here is to, 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 to determine who is righteous and who is not righteous, thanks for the story, but it's pretty obvious. This is what Jesus does, though, in the story. He gives everyone a glimpse into the private prayers that these two men pray to God. And those two prayers are compared and contrasted here in the story and that's what helps shed light on these two men because it's very obvious for the people to say of course the Pharisee is righteous and of course the publican is not but when Jesus brings turns back the veil and allows you to see into the mind of these people these two men You can see how drastically different their prayers are. The one man doesn't even seem to be praying to God, he seems to just be talking to himself I am amazing. I am great. I do everything that I should do. And the other guy, he doesn't look up to heaven, we're told which was common practice, I guess, he just stares at the floor. And he just keeps hitting himself over and over. That's the way it's implied in the Greek. He doesn't stop. It's just not one time. He just keeps hitting himself over and over again. He can't look up and he can't look anyone in the eye and he just says be merciful to me remember what i said before about uh, blessed is the man who doesn't just want some of the bread blessed is the man who wants all of the righteousness here this man isn't saying be merciful to me because I am a sinner. Hear this, this man is saying, Be merciful to me because I am the sinner. In his mind, he is the only one. Everyone else looks great. Everything else, everybody else looks wonderful. There's a scene in a the Chosen, the TV show, depending on how you feel about it, I don't know, but I kind of like it. But there's a scene where Matthew, we're in the book of Matthew, Matthew goes home to see his mom and he's not well received in his home. In fact, at first he calls her mom and then, and then thinks better of it and just calls, refers to her as her name because he's been disowned. And his point in visiting his family, even though he knows he's been disowned, is, is not to ask for forgiveness or ask them to whatever. His point is he was having a crisis that what he believed life was all about based on what he'd seen of Jesus was totally different. And the only person that he thought he could go to to, to express what was going on with him was his mom. And he said something to the effect in the show, it's not in the Bible, but he, in the show he says, he says mom have you ever have you ever like thought that you knew how life was supposed to go and then something happened that totally destroyed that entire notion she ends up not being very receptive to him and he just leaves with his own thoughts but this publican this tax collector something has happened to him where he realizes that he that everything that he's known is wrong and that he is completely wrong and that he actually is one of the most sinful people ever Jesus is a al- Seeking to shine a spotlight on the fact that what God said through the prophet Isaiah is true That the man or woman he looks on with favor is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at his word That the sacrifices of the arrogant and self-satisfied who are looking to show off their righteousness The equivalent of murder That's That's what Isaiah says Isaiah says that the man to whom God will look is contrite in spirit. And then he goes on to say that when you sacrifice, when you make a sacrifice just to arrogantly display how great you think you are, you might as well just be killing someone. You might as well just be ripping a dog's head off for no reason at all because it means nothing. Because the God of the universe has, at the very, this isn't a new thing. The Old Testament is filled with God saying, this is what I'm after. The heart, the heart is what I'm after. Broken people is what I'm after. A bruised reed I will not break. And this man, he is a bruised reed, ready to break. Irritate. Listen to what he says in Luke eighteen fourteen. Jesus says, I tell you, at the end of the story, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. That would irritate his audience. That would irritate them. And Jesus' purpose was to irritate them, was to surprise them, was to teach them to the extent that they were teachable by telling them that the Pharisee would not be gifted God's righteousness. The Pharisee would not be the one going to heaven. Why? Why? Because he was already quite satisfied with the righteousness he believed that he had mustered up all by himself. See, blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. For what? For they will be satisfied. The person who doesn't feel hungry, who doesn't feel thirsty, who feels satisfied with their righteousness as they have it, doesn't want to be satisfied because they're already satisfied. The Pharisee was already satisfied. His prayer attested to the fact that he was already satisfied. But the publican, not satisfied. Compared compared with the God of the universe, he realizes how short he falls and 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 this is the thing like we christians do this christians christians start to to get sometimes get this 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 pride this religious christian pride as if we're better than people by comparison or that we're good enough but but the bible's clear every time isaiah It's brought up into heaven. And he gets to see what heaven is like. It becomes very, very clear that compared to God, he is the worst. Simon Peter, when he understands and finally recognizes who Jesus is, says, depart from me. I am a sinful man. The reality is is that no matter how mature you are in your faith, no matter how rightly you strive to live, compared to the God of the universe, who is pure and perfect and holy and righteous, you, you are nothing. All his hungering and thirsting All of his hungering and thirsting after being right with God Jesus said would be met with satisfaction he in fact would find out what it was like to be gifted with Christ's perfect righteousness that's what he's saying that the publican is the one who left justified justified declared righteous by God forever Because the sinless savior died, right? My guilty soul is counted free. Why? Because God the just is satisfied to look on him instead of me, gifted with Christ's righteousness. Conclusion. Later in Matthew, Matthew uh, just a few verses later, Matthew 5, chapter five, verse 20. Jesus says this, for I tell you, unless your, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, which begs the question, right? Begs the question, who then can ever enter the kingdom of heaven? If the most religious people can't do it, if the best of us can't do it, then who can do it? The answer is no one. Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, who everyone would agree live virtuously, whether it's their life displayed or through the words that they speak, they are virtuous. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you will never enter the kingdom of God, which begs the question, then who can get into heaven? And the answer is none of us, unless we are gifted with a righteousness that is that is alien to us that is apart from us that is distinct from us that is external from us because we could never do it on our own because the bible says that even your best is filthy rags god must provide his righteousness and clothe you in it and then then your righteousness will exceed the scribes and pharisees because like i said before in that song right god the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon you that's what happens when you become a christian that jesus's righteousness is credited to your account so that the god of the universe no longer sees sinful disgusting jason runyon Although he is still there and he's still disgusting, but he sees his son. I am. I even though I might look disgusting to you right now, I am clothed in Christ's righteousness. Even though you might see me on a bad day, and there are plenty of them, I am clothed in Christ's righteousness. Does that mean that our righteousness doesn't matter? Being gifted alien, an alien righteousness that is not your own does not mean that the experiential righteousness, the internal righteousness that we talked about, has no place. But you're not doing good things to get approval. Understand? Experiential, internal righteousness still matters. We're supposed to live rightly. Romans 6 11 count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Grace. Why, if I am a Christian, do I strive to live rightly before my God? Because of what I've been gifted. Because of what I've been graced with. That as I am clothed in his righteousness, I wake up in the morning and I might not do right. I'm, I wake up in the morning and, and chances are I'm not gonna do right. But I strive to live rightly before God, not to, for his approval, but out of thankfulness for what I've been given. Most of religion does good things to get approval from some deity, my deity. The invisible God of the universe has already given me righteousness. I don't need to attain it. I don't need to do things to to get his approval for it. He has already given it to me. It is invisible to you. You don't see me clothed in Christ's righteousness right now, but I assure you, it is clothing me. It is enveloping me right now. I have it and when i leave those doors the life that i seek to live i'm seeking to live up to what i've been given i hope that makes sense because this is my conclusion (laughs) i hope that makes sense and 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 listen if, if 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 you're here You're here, and you you identify with you identify with the publican, and you say, "You know what? There's not a lot of light. There's barely any hope. Just, just a mess." You're in a great place. You're in a great place. There's a prayer team who will come up here you can pull them aside you can pull them over the corner and you can and you can you can ask for prayer and, and, and if you're like the publican hungering and thirsting for righteousness that you just never can seem to get just can never live right and the offer from Jesus the invitation to Jesus is happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied They will be given the kind of righteousness that only Jesus can provide. And the means by which you get that righteousness, the Bible tells us in Romans 10.10 and other places, is that you believe in your heart. You believe in your heart that Jesus died for you. He lived the perfect life that you should live but can't because you can never be righteous enough that he died and he took the penalty for your sin and mine and then he rose again and it says when you believe that in your heart and when you confess that with your mouth that you'll be saved that you'll be gifted his jesus's righteousness you'll be able to have it just like i have it and if you're feeling like the pharisee this morning you're in good company too Any, any given day I feel like that but if you're feeling like the Pharisee this morning feeling like you're, you got it you got it handled you got it figured out I'm not like these people I'm better than these people I think what you need to do is you need to come face to face with the God of the universe who saw sin so significantly that, it, that it, it's an affront to him. And he saw it, he, he saw it in such a way that he, he realized that the only way that he could rescue mankind was to deal with sin. In a profound and significant way. And the means by which God does that is by sending his son to die on a cross. And whenever I'm feeling like a Pharisee, I think it's, it's good for me to look at the cross and to see the price that had to be paid for what I really am. What I really am. Okay? So there's, there's, we're going to have a prayer team come up. We're going to have the worship team come up, and, um, and um, I just pray that you uh, that we all would would seek to um, that we we would we would seek to live out of the righteousness that God has provided to us, rather than just the righteousness that we think we can muster up. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you rescue us through your Son. Thank you that you you alone as the creator god have the 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 right to determine what is right and what is wrong and clearly human beings are wrong adam proved it and uh and as a result of adam's sin we're, we're we're all infected with sin but we thank you so much that you went out of your way to send the son to come and rescue us and and to to provide a way for his righteousness to become ours it's invisible, we don't see it happen. Even this morning, if someone were to come up here to the, talk with the prayer team and, and get saved this morning, we wouldn't see, we wouldn't see uh, special clothes flying down from heaven to envelop them. Uh, we wouldn't see it. Um, but that's what faith is about. Faith is believing that righteousness is provided to us, not by something that we have done Faith is believing that righteousness can be provided to us by something that someone has done, and that someone is your son, and we're so thankful for him. Help us to, to, uh, to live out a week that brings you glory. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.